Well, good morning, Summit Church. How are we doing this moring? Come on, can I hear a good shout? Doing well? Good to see you this morning. So glad. How about that weather outside? Come on, somebody. Woo, my Lord. That is good stuff, man. That's why you live here. That's why you live here, right? Just this week. That's just this week. <laughs> Don't get used to it. Oh, man. You know what, literally, seriously, just a, just a quick moment. I just really felt during worship, during praise, man, wasn't that great praise, worship, and stuff? Just come on, give it up for the worship team. Man, you're awesome, we love you. But I felt like, there's a word for somebody, I felt like the Lord wanted me to share this, but there's a turnaround coming for you today. There's a turnaround, there's a turnaround coming for you today. There's a turnaround. Turn to your neighbor and tell them there's a turnaround coming for you today, come on. That's right. I believe that. I truly believe that's the word of the Lord for us. I believe that's the word of the Lord for you personally. I believe that's the word for us corporately. There's a turnaround coming for you today. I'm excited about it. I'm glad that we serve a God that is still speaking today. He didn't speak just 2,000 years ago. He speaks today and he's got something to say. Now remember what we said about this a couple weeks ago. Every time you open this Bible, God opens his mouth. Come on. And God's opening his mouth. He wants to say something to you today, so you need to listen. But before we get to go into all that, let me just give you a shout out, a couple shout outs. I think we are in order. Um, first of all, shout out to the ladies that put together the women's conference yesterday. That was amazing. Y'all did a great job. Congratulations. Thank you for that. My wife says it was off the chain, over the top. It was amazing. I came in. I, I didn't come because I had too much testosterone, but I wasn't allowed in. But I. I, 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 the water bottles literally had little like shiny things on top of the water bottles. I was like, seriously? I mean, we can't just drink water now. We got to, we, but it was amazing. The ladies love it. You know, that's what they do. The frills and the thrills. And uh, so that was, it was a great time. They had a great ministry time. And I'm so proud of our ladies and the ministry of the ladies. We have lots of ladies, small groups, and some of you should jump in that as, as well as the men as well. And uh, just as, kind of kudos and shout outs to you as a congregation. Some of you may not know that, but over the last course, the last several three to four weeks, you and one other church, um, my good friend Jeff Copeland, pastor First Baptist in Robertsdale, together combined gave out 10,000 meals to hurricane victims and hurricane items. <laughs> Louisiana, 10,000. Went down there, slept, stayed there, served lunch and dinners every day for the last three weekends, four weekends, and so proud of you. Also, you may not know this, but we as a church, I want to show you a, a couple pictures. There's a church, and there's a pastor, Dwayne Malone, pastors a church in Galeanos, Louisiana, and we are in relationship with him. He's a friend of ours, and that's what happened. You've seen that kind of picture before, haven't you? Come on, come on someone say some of church, right, Sally? And uh, so my heart went out to him. So we sent $10,000 this past week just to help that church in Galeanos. And you did that. Thank you for doing that. Um, just as people gave to us, we want to turn around and give to others in need. And we're going to be praying for Pastor Malone. And his church literally is scattered from Houston to Florida and just trying to recover from that still. So keep them in your prayers um, down there in Galeanos. And, and uh, man, a big shout out as well. Crossing to Freedom is going well on Tuesday nights. If you're not part of that, you need to be a part of that. And a great, great class just learning how to deal with issues in life that 
perhaps have followed you all along. Also on Monday night, we start to celebrate recovery for those in addictions and things like that. We had 50, our first night, Celebrate Recovery, had over 50 people there for that, and that was exciting. And um, just kind of dealing with people that working through addictions and things like that and walking into freedom as well. So a lot of good things are happening, and we're excited about that. But I just want to just say this. Can we just give a welcome to those watching online and those watching from the county jail and just tell them how much we appreciate Appreciate you guys. Thank you for watching with us today. Praise you're encouraged by what we have to share. Well, there was a Yankee, he was visiting from down in the south and he was driving down the road and he saw a yard sign and it said dog for sale. And, uh, and he said, well, that, that's pretty cool. But then it said, another sign said talking dog for sale. And he said, well, what talking dog? One thing is a dog, but the dog, talking dog. So he pulled over and went up to the door and said, I, your sign says you have a talking dog for sale. Is that true? He goes, absolutely true. He said, well, I'd like to see that dog. He goes, well, it's... He's in the backyard, feel free. So he took him around the backyard and sure enough, this little dog walked up and he goes, uh, I heard that you can talk. And the dog said, that's right, I can talk. <laughs> he was shocked, he couldn't believe us. He goes, you can talk? He goes, absolutely. Where'd you learn how to talk? He goes, oh, I learned how to talk from the federal government. I was a talking dog and undercover, worked for the CIA for 10 years, was all over the world listening to conversations and then telling, you know, the CIA about the conversations going on. And the man was shocked. He goes, I got to have this dog. He turns to the owner and goes, how much do you want for this dog? He goes, $5. You want $5 for a talking dog? He goes, yeah. Why, why, why five dollars? That seems like so cheap for, for, he goes, ah, that dog's worthless. He said, man, that dog's been lying to you this whole time. He's never left the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. The talking dog. So I got a question for you this morning. Here, how many here, raise your hand, have, have been in a situation from time to time in your lifetime where you felt maybe a little bit unwanted? Okay, I think we could probably all safely say we've been there. Maybe in a situation where you felt like you were the third wheel, come on, you were, you were, there's, a, there's a date going on, you didn't know there was a date, you happened to be involved in this thing, and now they're all talking in the front seat, you're in the back seat feeling like, what in the world am I here for? Maybe you've been in that situation where you just felt tolerated, but not valuable or not appreciated or celebrated. I think we can all be, I remember being in, in high school and, and uh, those were dreadful days for some of us, painful days for others. I remember the cafeteria. The cafeteria was always one of those vulnerable times, right? When you get your tray and you got your food and you're looking and you're trying to find a seat. And I remember this day vividly. I went over to the table. I saw there was a seat available at this particular table full of jocks. I went and I put my tray down and, and I said, anybody sitting here? And this guy looked up at me and he goes, we don't want you sitting here with us. He said that to me. And, I, and so I had a decision, what I'll do, because that hurt me. We don't want you, he wouldn't, he wouldn't smile when he said that, he was actually serious. We don't want you sitting here with us. And so I had to either pass it off, like that was no big deal, laugh, whatever, or I had to take it serious and go to another table. I decided to pass it off, play it like it didn't hurt my feelings, and sat there at the rest of my lunchtime wondering why I don't fit in. How come I'm rejected? And I think we've all been in those kind of situations where we've been hurt 
And sometimes, so hurt so many times, rejected perhaps so many times that we actually got, got used to it. It was like, we feel like that's part of life. I was, one time I was uh, going visiting uh, a friend of mine and he had just gotten a dog from the pound and um, he told me about it. I went out to the back to pet the dog, to see the dog and went outside and the dog ran up, ran right up to me. You've probably seen this happen to you. It ran right up to me and got right to my feet. And then instead of jumping up like most dogs did, he, would, he cowered down and looked like this. And when I reached my hand down to pet him, his head got even lower and lower and his tail stopped wagging. It was like he wanted to be petted, but yet was scared what was about to happen. He lived his whole life. I said, what's wrong with the dog? He said, he's been abused by his owner, his previous owner. And then I think sometimes in our lives we're like that, right? We want, to, we, want to, we want to live life to the fullest. We want to be embraced, but there's a part of us going, but what happens if I'm not? What happens if, 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 if they're going to hurt me as perhaps others have? Genesis chapter 29, we're going to be talking about this particular story today. It plays out to us in the Old Testament like a, New Test, like a present day version of Desperate House, Housewives. I remember, I remember that show years ago. Not a show that I watched, not a show that I would probably even recommend. But the Desperate Housewives was always about somebody in problems, you know, with somebody else. Here would be a typical plot line of Desperate Housewives. Susan is angry at her ex-husband, Carl, who left her, and she walks out the door only to see her ex-husband emerge from her neighbor's house across the street, Edie, who uh, lived there. She says, what in the world are you doing here? She confronts Carl, admits that, you know, he says, man, I, I'm just over here spending, yeah, I spent the night with Edie, and, and you know, that's just the way it is, and I may even move in with her. And, and then Susan's ticked off, and she's storming around her yard, and Edie comes out after Carl drives off and starts gloating and in her face, and, and, and Susan says, that's just not right, and snaps at her, and, and in fact, Edie says, well, that's the way it is. And Susan was, well, you know what? You're messing up because Carl just told me that he's still in love with me and wants to move back in with me. And Edie said, that can't be true. She goes, that's true. And so they both get in the car and they run after Carl, give him a piece of their mind. Well, that's desperate housewives. <laughs> New Testament version. But I want to give you a story that plays out almost like desperate housewives. In our Bible, Genesis chapter 29. It's a crazy thing but it actually happened. You may be surprised that there was a love triangle just like that in our Bible. So let me give you the background. Jacob is the main character in this, in this plot, and he is, he is an interesting fellow. He's the second born, his brother Esau's firstborn, and, and when you're the firstborn, you get the family farm, you get the inheritance, you get the blessing of your father. And uh, so knowing that um, Isaac, the father, was getting older and often years, heard that he was about to pronounce the blessing over his older brother Esau, Jacob dresses up, disguises himself, puts on some stuff like he's got hairy arms like his brother, goes in and he disguises himself so well that his father thinks he's actually Esau and blesses what he thinks is Esau, but was actually Jacob and gives him the blessing, the divine blessing, and basically the inheritance in the family farm. 
and the birthright. And so, so Jacob now knows that Esau, when he finds out about it, is going to kill him because if he can kill him, then Esau gets the birthright now back to him. So Jacob hightails it out of town and runs for his life, still with the birthright. It may be a while before he can ever take it, but at least he's got it. And he, and he runs for his life, has a confrontation with God along the way in a dream, eventually finds his way in a place called Mesopotamia. He's now, he's been in, in traveling for many days and weeks. He's hot. He's at a well looking for some water. There's a stone over the well. The shepherd, there's some shepherds there with some sheep and um, they're, not, they're not causing their sheep to drink. And he goes, why aren't you, you know, uh, out in the fields like you're supposed to be? Well, our sheep need some water. Well, why don't you give them something to drink? He said, well, they said, because we can't move this stone off, off of, the, of the spring. It needs to be removed so they can get to the water. He, about that time, he goes, they say, well, who are you anyway? He says, well, I'm, I'm from another country. I'm looking for some relatives of mine, some people of mine that I know in this area by the name of Laban. Do you know Laban? They go, yeah, we know Laban. In fact, that's his daughter coming up right now, herding some sheep up here to the well. He took one look at her and he goes, oh my goodness. That's Miss Mesopotamia right there. <laughs> he saw that girl and he's like, woo! He goes, who are you? And she, she says, Rachel. He goes, man, are, are you related? She goes, yeah. And so they found that we related. And he would, fell in love at first sight. And so he was so in love. How many guys don't want to talk about? He went over and literally by himself moved the stone off of this well by himself. I mean, you do supernatural, powerful things when there's a woman in the room. Come on, somebody. Some coach figured out years ago, figured I can't, the only way I can get my players to play is if I dress up some girl in a short skirt and put her on a sideline with some cheering pom-poms and I'll, they'll, they'll run through a brick wall. That, that's just the way guys are. We're too dumb to think about it. Throw us a girl, man, we'll just do anything. And that's what happened to Jacob. And sure enough, he moved that thing and he went and spent about a month with her, which happened to be a distant relative of his and Laban, her dad, and uh, finally after about a month, Laban said, um, you know, it's not right. You're just kind of working for me for about a month. You're, uh, we need to make a kind of a deal. You want to work here? He goes, yeah, I'll work for you. He goes, well, what's your, what's your pay? He goes, well, my pay is, hmm, your daughter right over there, Rachel. And he says, I'll tell you what, I, I'll work for you for a period of time for her hand in marriage. Of course, you know, in those times you had to buy, basically you had to give the father a dowry. You had to purchase in a sense and show her that she's valuable. Well, listen, in today's time, they say the average person, an average guy will work two months of his life to pay for a ring for this new bride. So imagine, you know, working two months of your life for a dowry. And so that would have been a reasonable work periods, working two months for Laban for the, but no, what he does is he said, I'll tell you what, I, I don't have any money, but I'll work seven years for her. Because he, see, he, he didn't want no one stealing her from him. Come on, because somebody could have come up with a better price in about six months and bought him out. So he's like, I, I, you'll have an employee, a good one for seven years if I can have her. And Laban felt like that was too good of a deal. So he said, I'll take you up on that one. Well, now the plot thickens. The Bible says actually in Jacob's mind, this is fascinating, that seven years passed as if it was just a few days. That's called being in serious love right there. Come on, somebody. Remember that? Just like nothing, suddenly 
Suddenly time goes by. So seven years goes by, it's time to get married. And you know, in those days, we don't know the whole story how it played out, but when they had marriages and weddings, as Jesus proved to us, they liked to do a lot of drinking. Well, no doubt probably in Jacob's time, that's what happened. He partied all day long. And when it came time for him to consummate the marriage that night in the wedding tent, he and Rachel, he was probably too drunk to know what was going on. Or she was too veiled for him to know what was happening. Some lady comes into the tent, they consummate the marriage. He wakes up in the middle in the morning only to find that he had not spent the night with Rachel, who he worked for for seven years, but in fact, her older sister Leah. His roof hit the, t his head hit the tent, if you would. He bolted out of the tent, went to Laban. What in the world is this all about? He goes, oh, you didn't know, Laban. Laban was a deceiver. Jacob was a deceiver, but Jacob had met his match now in the master deceiver. Can I just say Galatians says to us, let me throw it up on the screen. It says that whatsoever, uh, uh, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked and man reaps what he sows. And so Laban, Laban is the man that's causing Jacob to reap what Jacob had already sown. He had been deceived just like he had deceived Esau and his father. And so he's, and, and his father goes, look, the custom is you can't marry off your younger daughter if the older daughter isn't married yet herself. So Leah, the older daughter, is not married, so this is the way it is. This is our custom. He's like, I can't do this. I know you're kidding me. Laban goes, I'll tell you what. Let's make a deal. You finish off this week with my oldest daughter. I'll give you Rachel, my youngest daughter, at the end of the week, if you will work seven more years for me. He ended up working 14 years for a woman, and now two, one that he wanted and one that he didn't. You read that story and you go, wow, that's, that's I feel sorry for Jacob. 14 years just to get a wife, and then he gets the wrong one. But in fact, the story should be, we feel sorry for Leah. She wasn't asked to be put in this situation. She wasn't asked to be given in marriage to somebody that didn't want her. Reading the definitions of their names is, and descriptions of their names is helpful because Rachel's name literally, um, by description, not what her name means, but description it actually tells us in the Bible what uh, she looked like. She was lovely in her figure and beautiful. That's the NIV. The message said that she was stunningly beautiful. She was a beauty queen in the outward manner. Leah, the translators, are uncertain of her name, and they've troubled over themselves. And so different people have different conclusions of what her name is. The NIV said she had weak eyes and she was delicate. She had delicate eyes. Another version said that she had no sparkle in her eyes. Another translation in the King James said that she had tender eyes. Some would think that perhaps she had eyesight problems. She couldn't see well. The NLT said she had dull eyes. But I think I'm going to go this morning with the Good News translation, which said she had lovely eyes. Or the message says she had nice eyes. It goes like this. Remember you were being set up by a friend? Hey, I need you to go out with this girl. She's a friend of my girlfriend's and I think y'all hit it off really good. 
And the first question you ask is, not does she know Jesus? I mean, that didn't even make the picture. Yeah, that might be two or three or five down the, the line. The first question you ask is what? What she look like? And when he responds and says, dude, she's got nice eyes. You know you're in trouble, right? I mean, you know, this is not the girl you want to be taking. No, 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 no. Okay, she's got cool eyes, but no, seriously, what does she look like? Dude, I'm, I'm telling you, dude. When you look in her eyes, she's like, wow. I'll never forget these eyes. Does she have a body? Well, yeah, of course she has a body. What's that like? Well, she's got a great personality. Come on, you're out. You know what I'm saying? See you later. I'm out of here. And this is the case here. Jacob ends up with this woman that he wouldn't have probably gone on a blind date with. The rest of Genesis 29 is really painful to read, actually. It's a story about Jacob loving Rachel, verse, 20, verse 30, chapter 29. Let's read, throw that up on the screen. It says, Jacob had a love for Rachel that was greater than his love for Leah and that he worked for Laban another seven years. What does it say? It's saying that his love for her was greater than his love was for Leah. Leah would spend years trying to win the affection of someone in her life who tolerated her. She would spend the rest of her life trying to win over a man that didn't even love her. And she would try to compare herself over and over to this other girl called her sister, her younger sister. And she learned that rejection really over time became her best friend. Have you ever been in that situation where you're more comfortable being rejected than you are being celebrated? Have you ever been in that situation where you feel like I'm going to walk into this meeting and I know what's about to happen. They're going to let me have, they're going to, they're going to lower the ax. They're going to fire me. They're going to, they're going to read me the, my, the riot act. They're, they're, this isn't going to turn out well. And you just live your life waiting for the shoe to fall. Am I talking to somebody this morning? You just know rejection's around the corner. How many have ever felt that pain of rejection? Perhaps you were a young man, a young boy growing up, and you came home one day, and he's asked your mom, where's dad? Oh, dad's gone. When's he coming back? And she says, I don't know. And two days, three days, a week, two weeks, a month goes by and still no sign of dad, no word of dad. And guess what? You begin to feel, you begin to feel the wound of a father and you've been rejected. Perhaps it wasn't something like that. Perhaps it was a, a husband who comes home thinking everything's fine in the marriage only to find a little note on the coffee table from his wife saying, I'm out of here. I got my stuff. Uh, I'll, call, I'll call you when I, when, I, when I get settled in my new place. How about maybe it's a, a young boy catching another friend of his dating his girlfriend. Come on, somebody. Like happened to me, a little boy dating a little girl. And of course, we weren't dating. You don't date back there in the fifth grade, but she was my girl and everybody knew it. Come on, so we, we walked together at lunch to, to the cafeteria. Everybody knew she was my girlfriend. And then my best friend was roller skating with her at the youth group rolling party, skating party. That, that's just wrong. 
in the bathroom stalls, crying my eyes out, rejected. I, I felt that. I felt ostracized. I know you felt left out. You felt looked over, undervalued, unloved. And here we have this woman called Leah. We're going to talk about her for a few moments, who spends her life just performing for acceptance, just doing anything she could so her husband would love her for who she would be, that she was. And we live that same way in our walk with the Lord. So many times we don't even understand, it doesn't cross our mind, that God loves me just the way I am. I don't have to work for his approval. I don't have to work for his love. I don't have to flip burgers. I don't have to run through hoops and all kind of things to get his approval. He loves me just the way I am in all of my flaws, in all of my failures, even if I have weak eyes or soft eyes or a bad personality, he still loves me. And so she reveals her struggle. We see it very clearly by how she names her children. So she begins to have children, Leah does, to Jacob. And her first son, she says, I'm gonna name him Reuben. And Reuben means, look, a son. It was her way of saying, maybe now that I've given my husband a child, a boy, he'll see me and he'll look at my child and go, look, a son. What am I doing? This, this is precious. This, this woman, this child, this is a great relationship. Look, I have a son. I have a son. Every man wants a son. I have a son. Only to find that that didn't turn his affections at all. So again, she becomes pregnant and she has another boy and she names him Simeon, which means one who hears. Verse 33, because the Lord heard, I'm not loved. Maybe, maybe God will, will see that I'm not loved by my husband. I'll name him Simeon and, and maybe he'll help me turn this thing around. And still nothing, it's all the same, still rejected, still living in the community with her husband, in the house with her husband, who would rather go fishing or anything else but not look at her, not sit down with a cup of coffee and talk about how things are going, didn't want to have anything to do with a type of relationship where the only thing that would offer her would be yes and no answers to her questions. Hey, how was your day? Fine. Hey, what's going on in your life? Nothing. Hey, you concerned about anything? Not at all. How's the weather? It's okay. Just not even, just a superficial relation. This is all she had to grab a hold of. And she finally has another boy and she names him Levi, which means attached. Verse 34, she goes, now maybe my husband will be attached to me. Maybe now he'll look at me, three boys. I've given this man three boys. Look at all I've done for this man. Now, surely he will be attached. He'll want to be with me. He'll want to be my real strong husband. And nothing and all you can do as you're reading this painful passage of scripture is just say, Leah, stop. Stop it, Leah. You're more valuable than this. Quit spending your energy and your time trying to win over the affection of someone that doesn't care. Just stop. And then she gets this revelation, thankfully. And we'll talk about that in a second. I want to give you quickly lessons we learn from Leah. Number one, you don't always get what you bargain for. 
We live in a world governed by deception. Deception is a part of even people's courtships and datings. You're thinking you're dating this beautiful guy or great girl or whatever, and, and they, they're playing you. And they'll play you as long as they get, get you. And then they get you. Now this isn't for you all, but this is, happens everywhere else. And suddenly you realize, what? He always took a bath when we were dating. Her breath always smelled good when we were courting. How come when I walk into the room where he's been, it smells terrible? What's this all about? How come he leaves his clothes all over the When I would go to visit him at his apartment, his house was immaculate. Look at this, it's always a mess. Uh, guess what? You were deceived. Y'all like, how y'all know my business? I'm all up in your house. I know how this thing works. Deception is a part of not only dating, it's a part of you know, marriages, it's a part of just even the economy that we live in. You go buy this expensive refrigerator, you plug it in, you walk away, you come back a few hours later and you got water all over the floor, the thing leaks, it's broken. You buy a brand new car, they tell you it's the greatest thing in the world, you drive it off the lot and suddenly everything's rattling around you. Come on, you, we, we, we've been deceived. We, we've been told, oh, this is a great thing. This is a great, you ought to have this, get a new house and they covered up a lot of things. You didn't see it in the inspections and then you get all moved in. You start finding cracks in the foundation. You didn't even know we're there. They didn't tell you about it. I'm just telling you, you go on a vacation. They, they got all these pictures of how things are going to be and you come back with bed bugs and a sick stomach. Come on. How many know we live in a world of deception? <laughs> about three years ago or so, Melissa and I, we... I'm a part of an executive board of a missions organization called Global Action, an incredible organization which teaches third world pastors a basic foundational Bible knowledge. And so we had an executive board out in Phoenix. My wife and I flew out there. And we're, so we decided we would, after the meeting, take a few days and go visit some places out there, get a rent a car, visit the Hoover Dam, other places, Sedona, and some, some things that are good to look at. And so we did. And so... She kind of left, uh, you know, the arranging of hotels up to me. And so, you know, I'm going online looking for where we're going to spend tomorrow night and everything. And I said, hey, maybe I think we're going to stay here. She goes, is that the best you can do? I said, well, I mean, it's like $30 cheaper than everything else. And I named the hotel. And she goes, I don't, I don't, I've never heard anything good about that hotel. I said, oh no, look at, I mean, this picture is beautiful. I mean, you should see this picture. She's on the other side of me. She goes, no, nah, I don't want to see the picture. I just, I think you should find another hotel. I'm like, dink. <laughs> All set, close the computer, we're done. Let's, let's have a wonderful day. We'll drive there tomorrow. We get there the next day. <laughs> and we drove up to this place and I said, uh-oh. <laughs> and she goes, I'm not staying there. I'm not staying there. I said, ah, come on. It's going to be fun. She goes, I'm not staying here. She goes, you go get your money back right now. Went in. I said, excuse me, can I have my money back? And the lady goes, nope, can't. I went back out. I said, ah, can't get our money back. 
She goes, I want to see a room before I stay in it. I said, ma'am, can we see a room, please? And uh, she goes, okay. So she takes us down the hotel. <laughs> I thought I was in a third world country. <laughs> we had guys, you know, in their, in their, in their T-shirts, you know, their, their, their wife beater T-shirts, loud music going on, standing in the doorway of that hotel room with a big beer, you know, big old belly, standing there, you know, with their with their pants down, you know what I'm talking about, down to below their rear, and, and, they're, and, they're, and they're, they're looking at Melissa walk by, and I'm like, hey, 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 hey. And I mean, all this stuff is happening, and the more we walked, the angrier she got, and she goes, I don't even care about seeing the room, I'm going back to the car. And just go get, go just go get the key, and we'll just deal with it. And so I go, and I get the key. I said, okay, um, the room's ready. It's a beautiful room. And uh, <laughs> we get to the door, and she looks at this door all full of dirt and everything, and she gets full, pulling out the Clorox wipes, you know, and she's wiping down the door just to go in it. And, and it was terrible. I mean, she never took her shoes off. It was, it was, it was, it was a disaster. It, it was one of the coldest nights of my married life. It had nothing to do with the air conditioner, I promise. But the problem was the picture looked beautiful. I mean, the picture, the pool, the picture, the sunset. I was like, oh, this is, this is, yeah. I said, come on, sweetheart, we're going to have, it's a mission trip. It's a mission, they need Jesus. Because they need Jesus. Yeah. Nothing worked. Nothing worked. It was a bad thing. People are deceivers, and sometimes things don't work out the way we think they should work out. Everyone, the Bible says, Psalms chapter 12, verse 2, everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their hearts. Sometimes things don't work out the way we thought they were going to work out, and we cannot get caught up in the fact that it didn't work out the way we thought it was going to work out. We got to be bigger than that, which leads us to number two. We got to bring ourselves to a place where where praise delivers us from performance. Things will not always work out the way we thought they were going to work out, but the good thing is, praise will deliver me from performance. Genesis chapter 29, verse 35, after having three sons, finally she gets this revelation, Leah gets this insight. I'm not sure I'm ever going to please this man. I'm not sure I'll ever win his affection. Look at this. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time. Everybody say this time. In other words, I'm not going to play this game any longer. This time. This time, I'm going to praise the Lord. So she named this boy Judah, which means praise. In other words, she turned a corner and said, you know what? I can't get him to attach himself to me. I can't get him to love me because he has a son. I can't get him to look at me, but I can do one thing. I can't control him, but I can control me. And from this point on, I'm going to give God praise. I'm going to praise him in the good times. I'm going to praise him in the bad times. Whether he winks at me or hugs me, I don't care. I'm going to give my God praise. 
And at some point, you've got to come to grips with the cards that you've been dealt. At some point in your life, you've got to start saying things like, this may not be the happiest life uh, that a person can live, but I'm filled with joy. There may be things uh, that I struggle with, uh, but I'm going to continue to celebrate. Uh, you might have to say things like, my health may not be the best, uh, but by golly, I still have breath in my lungs, uh, and I'm still going to pray and give God some praise. Uh, you might have to say things like, you may have hurt me, uh, but my love for you is still there. You may not love me, but my Father's love is more than enough for me. You might have to say things that I may not be what you want, but I am good enough for him. Oh, sometimes you just got to put your praise on and you got to say, it don't matter what everything else is shaking down around me. I'm going to give God some praise. Can you give God some praise this morning? And thanks. Come on. Do you believe that he's a great God? He's worthy of our praise. Thank you, Lord. I believe you will be always caught in the trap. The deceptive trap of getting people's approval until you praise. Leads us to number three, rejection is nothing more than redirection. Rejection is nothing more than redirection. When God saw, it says to us, when God saw Jacob did not want Leah, God said, I want Leah. Jacob, you may not want this woman, but I do. And God says, I see value in this person whether you do or not. Whether you select her or not, whether you reject her or not, I want Leah. And Leah wanted love. She desired love from a man. But guess what God gave her? God gave her something else. He gave her a son. She thought happiness was going to come from God. But actually what God said, no, Leah, happiness is not going to come from a son. It's going to come from what you give. Genesis 29, 39. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. God knows when you're not loved. God knows when you're not given everything, when you're getting the short end of the deal. And so God will do supernaturally. He'll move into the situation and allow you to be able to conceive. Let's say it again. He'll allow you to be able to be fruitful in this life and find purpose in things other than what you thought your purpose was. You'll begin to find yourself having life and an identity maybe outside or different than what you thought your identity was going to be in the long run. And God will give you another identity that will be even far greater than the one that you wanted to begin with. Are you hearing what I'm saying? <laughs> when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. She thought she needed love from Jacob, but God thought she needed to show love to a church that he was building. It was not about her and Jacob. It was bigger than that. God was wanting to build a tribe, tribes. He was wanting to build the church. In fact, the 12 tribes of Israel, the majority of all the children came from Leah. God was trying to establish a nation, come on somebody, a people called Israel, and they would come, the majority, most of them all from Leah and the birthing of these sons. She's looking for love from Jacob, and God's looking for a church to be birthed through her loins. Sometimes the, 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 the thing's bigger than you think. You gotta just trust God with the bigger picture. Look at this, Isaiah chapter 55. For my thoughts, the Lord says, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. How can a finite mind ever understand an infinite God? Why do we spend our lives asking the question why when we're serving a God who lives in eternity, when we live in a realm called time? You can't ask those questions why all the time and expect God to answer. You have to trust the process that God's working something bigger even than what you can believe at the time. Am I talking to somebody this morning? Well, I was cleaning, I was, years ago, I was cleaning gutters. My son was six years old, I'm cleaning gutters. I'm on the ladder, cleaning gutters. And my son says, Dad, what are you doing? I said, I'm cleaning gutters. He goes, why are you cleaning gutters? I said, because there's leaves, they fall off the trees and they're in the gutters. He goes, why? I said, why what? He goes, why leaves fall off the trees? I said, because, you know, uh, it, it turns cool and the leaves die and they fall off the tree. He goes, why? I said, why what? He goes, why is it turn cold? I said, because the world, the earth is on an axis and it turns and it, sometimes it gets further away from the sun than it was before and it gets cold. Why? Why what? Why is it turn on this axis? I said, go ask your mama. <laughs> well, I don't know. He's saying, I can't answer all these questions. This is too much for me. And this is what, and he's six and I'm in my 30s. So we got like a 30 year difference and I, he can't even comprehend what I'm talking about an earth on its axis at six and I'm in my 30s. Much less, how can you understand what God's about to do when he's lived for eternity and you've lived this long? <laughs> Explain that to me. Why you get tripped up on all the little things going on and yet at the one breath you say you trust God and then the next breath you say, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know if I can follow you or not and you bail and cash it all in. I'm telling you, you've got to commit yourself to the process and that God knows what he's doing. His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts and you just got to go with it, baby. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he's helping you right now. Come on, he's helping you. I got to finish quickly, quickly. Point number four, lastly. Not really lastly, but kind of lastly. <laughs> Payoff comes mostly from the things that I have learned to love. 1 Corinthians 1, 28, God shows the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Jacob thought he was marrying Rachel and he gets Leah. He loved Rachel. He endured Leah. And while Rachel was his first love, Leah, he had to learn to love. And here's my point. Your harvest, because Rachel only gave him two sons, Leah gave him 10. And basically what you have to understand is that your harvest will come from the least attractive things in your life the things that you've learned to love. Maybe not the things that tripped your trigger, made you all emotional, all happy, and all excited. No, it's usually the things that you've learned to love are the things that are gonna give you, get you down the road. Rachel looked good on the outside, but she was dead on the inside until God opened her womb. But yet Leah was weak on the outside, but guess what, she was alive on the inside. And once you hook up with the thing that's alive on the inside, then you're just going to begin to change the things on the outside. And so personally, you got to understand there's things in your life that are going to be Leah's and there's going to be things in your life that's going to be Rachel and you're going to have to make a choice what you're going to invest into. Now, honestly, 
this right here on a Sunday morning is my Rachel. Doing my devotions every morning during the week is my Leah. But as much as I love doing this and hanging out with y'all, y'all not gonna move me down the road, but my God will on my Monday morning. Preaching is my Rachel. Fasting is my Leah. I don't grow when I preach, but I grow when I fast. Altar calls are my Rachel's. Emails on Monday morning are my Leah's. Sunday praise songs for the worship team is your, this is Rachel right here, baby. Come on, woo! Wake within me, wake, come on, Scott. Thursday night when you all not here, it's Leah time. <laughs> Going to a party is your Rachel. Staying home instead of going to the party and studying for the tests two days from now is your Leah. That party's not going to get you that GPA upgrade, but Leah will. Watching your kid play high school football on a Friday night, proud of them, that's your Rachel. Friday night after the game, about three in the morning when he finally comes into the house and you ground him for a week, that's your Leah. <laughs> Getting my paycheck. Woo! It's my Rachel. Giving my tithe. That's my Leah. Eating that ice cream at Culver's on a Sunday night. That's Rachel, baby. I'm all over that. Going to the gym at six in the morning on Monday. That's Malia. What, what, what are you? Eventually, you're going to be married to both, but you better learn how to devote some serious time to Leah because Leah is going to get you down the road. Uh, she's going to be the one that brings you into your future and into the purpose and the plans that God has you. You will always have a Rachel, but there's always a Leah as well. Do not despise your Leah. She's the key to your future. And guess what? Here's the good news. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow your minds right here. So in the book of Matthew, in the book of Matthew, we have these genealogies of Jesus. Matthew was like a tax collector. He was in the details. He, was, he, went, he, he believed that it was important to know where, where everybody fit in the in the whole thing, in the whole picture that God was doing. And so he begins to write down the genealogies. It was like Ancestry.com year zero, you know, with Levi. And he writes this in Matthew chapter one, verse two. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and it goes on, and then it begins to list all these, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so. And then it gets down really to the nitty-gritty, and it says this, and Matan was the father of another guy named Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, 
And then it stops this, so-and-so begat so-and-so, and says this, and Joseph was the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, and Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, come on. It wasn't about Leah, you, and your relationship with him. It was about Judah and what Judah would do in the long run because I got to get God to say my son to the earth, but I got to have a people to do it. And so he was looking for praise. He was looking for Judah all along. And when finally Leah produced Judah, Judah produced so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so to finally Joseph and Mary and Jesus. And that was what God was after all along, long after Leah passed from the scene. Come on, somebody. Your rejection is about bringing Jesus into your life and into the earth. It's about delivering the earth from its plagues and its problems and its issues and bringing life, bringing hope, bringing the Messiah, bringing life from your very soul into the world. All God wants is to bring himself into the world. The whole world is moaning and groaning. Oh, as if a woman was in childbirth waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. Where do the sons of God come from? They come from the loins of Leah. They come from the woman who has learned how to give God praise in the hard times, in the bad times, when no one wanted her, when she wasn't invited to the party. She says, I'm going to give him some Purdue. I have anybody in the house this morning that understands what I'm saying. Come on, stand to your feet with me. Come on, give him some praise right there. Just give him some praise. Give him some worship. I'm going to love on my God. I'm going to love on my Lord. My Lord. I believe this morning, I'm going to have our altar team come. Please, no one leave. Please, no one leave. Please. I believe God wants to do something here for just a moment. But I want our altar teams to come stand here at the front. But I believe this morning, there's a few here that understand the sting of rejection. And you've prayed through it and you've dealt with it, some of you, and others are still there. Even as I'm talking, the pain of that rejection is still there. And today I want you to know that the same God whose hand was on Leah is on your life. And that deception, that rejection is nothing more than to change the direction of where God's taken you. But you gotta surrender that. You gotta let God have this. You gotta learn how to give praise in the midst of your pain. So with every eye open and every head looking up, he would say, Pastor, today, I need to deal with some rejection in my life. I want you to raise your hand. Come on, right all across the room. Amen, 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 amen. Yeah, amen. Father God, right now, in Jesus' name, others, have said things about us, 
They've declared things over us that were not true. And they've attacked our identity, our character. And Lord, we, in the secret hours of the night, have found ourselves wallowing in rejection. And today, we bring our lives and we say, God, deliver us. Forgive us for listening to those lies and forgetting what you think about us and feel about us. Today we give you our rejection and we turn it over to you and we say heal us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. When we end the service today, those that lifted your hand, I would love to see you come out and to the front at some point. Grab the hand of one of these wonderful people and say, would you just pray with me? I prayed with Pastor JP a while ago and there's some things I've kind of walked through that I don't want to be a part of my life anymore. You need prayer. It's a good thing. Some of you here, you need to understand that your journey out of rejection begins at the cross. It begins when you humble yourself and you total surrender yourself to the Lord and you say, God, from this point on, my life's gonna be yours. And when you give him that permission, then he begins to move in and remove things and change things. You're here this morning, you say, Pastor Dave P., I want to receive Jesus as my Lord today, as my Savior. Raise your hand right where you're at. Let me see your hand. I just want to pray for you right where you're at. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior. Amen. Amen. Maybe you did not raise your hand. Amen. But maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe in your heart you wanted to. I want to say a prayer for all of those today. Would you just repeat after me? Can we all repeat this little prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I invite you into my heart and be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you for that prayer. Thank you for becoming my brother and my sister today. In fact, we'll have a, a new Bible right outside at our tent. Just have a new Bible just for you and some stuff for you to look over and tell you about your new journey in Christ. I want to give that to you. And lastly, as we get ready to leave, I think it's important that we understand that we have to give birth to Judah. Come on. Judah, Judah praise must come forth from our lives. It must be so natural to give God praise that we don't even think about it. In fact, we give him praise in the good times, in the bad times, in the hard times, in the weak times. I believe that's what God's calling for. Some praisers, some worshipers, amen. 
some praises. I want to lead you in one more prayer and we're going to close. Come on, would you bow your heads in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you that you are giving us, Lord God, the ability to praise and to worship in every situation going around us. And so, Father God, today we're going to leave this place, Lord God, with a heart of abundance, with a heart filled with life and a heart filled with love. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've come, Lord God, to burst something out of our lives. It's going to be a blessing into the earth. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that there's a fire in our soul and a fire in our spirit. We thank you, Lord God, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. For you are a good God and a great God. And you bless us in the going in and the coming out. And Father, we're going to praise, we're going to worship, we're going to love, we're going to watch you do something mighty in the earth. In the name of Jesus, can you give God some praise? Come on, give him some praise. Come on, church, give him some praise. Give him a shout this morning. Give him some love that he deserves. Amen and amen.